I'm going to invite Megan Brumley to come up and read our passage. And so if you will stand, um, just out of respect for God's word, we want to put ourselves underneath the word of God this morning as we start our worship service. I'll start my reading from James chapter 3, verse 13. Who is wise and understanding among you? By his good conduct, let him show his works in the meekness of wisdom. But if you have bitter jealousy and selfish ambition in your hearts, do not boast and be false to the truth. This is not the wisdom that comes from above, but it is earthly, unspiritual, demonic. For where jealousy and selfish ambition exist, there will be disorder in every vile practice. But the wisdom from above is first pure, then peaceable, gentle, open to reason, full of mercy and good fruits, impartial and sincere. And a harvest of righteousness is sown in peace by those who make peace. What quarrels and what causes fights among you? Is it not this, that your passions are at war within you? You desire and you do not have, so you murder. You covet and cannot obtain, so you fight and quarrel. You do not have because you do not ask. You ask and do not receive because you ask wrongly to spend it on your passions, you adulterous people. Do you know that friendship with the world is enmity with God? Therefore, whoever wishes to be a friend of the world makes himself an enemy of God. Or do you suppose it is to no purpose that the scripture says he yearns jealousy over the spirit that he has made to dwell in us? But he gives more grace. Therefore, it says God opposes the proud but gives grace to the humble. Submit yourselves, therefore, to God. Resist the devil and he will free from you. Draw near to God and he will draw near to you. Cleanse your hands, you sinners, and purify your hearts, you double-minded. Be wretched and mourn and weep. Let laughter be turned to mourning, your joy to gloom. Humble yourselves before the Lord, and he will exalt you. Do not speak evil against one another, brothers. The one who speaks against a brother or judges his brother speaks evil against the law and judges the law. But if you judge the law, you are not a doer of the law, but a judge. There is only one lawgiver and judge, he who is able to save and to destroy. But who are you to judge your neighbor? Church, this is the word of the Lord. You may be seated. Would you pray with me? Father, as we uh, come this morning, um, these are weighty words. Um, they are heavy, and, and they land on us. Um, and I, I pray, Spirit, that you would just use these words in our lives, help us to respond to these words. And I pray, Father, that um, uh, the words of my mouth and the meditations of my heart would be pleasing in your sight, O Lord, my rock and my redeemer. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Okay, I'm going to have you close your eyes again, okay? Just close your eyes for a second. Please don't fall asleep. Um, as we start this morning, 
Okay, just close your eyes, and I want you to just take a moment and picture in your head someone that you care deeply about. And they've made a, a series of just really bad decisions. And they are headed down just a, a horrible path, and you can see that it's not going to end well for them. You have them in your mind? Now I want you to picture in your mind a loved one, and they are involved in a relationship that is just really hard. And, and you know it's not a good relationship. And more than likely, they're going to end up with a lot of pain in the end. Can you see their face? Can you see the anguish on their face? Okay, open your eyes. You know, we all have had people like that in our lives, people that we cared and loved. Maybe someone currently in your life right now and have you ever tried to do an intervention in their lives and to step in and, and try to help them and to challenge them about whatever that they're going through? It can get really messy, right? And we want to save them from the pain and the heartache that they're going to feel, but man, sometimes it is so hard. Well, that person that is going through, you know, just the horrible decisions that's headed down the wrong path, that's in a difficult relationship, is you and me. And James has in his mind you and I. And throughout our study in the book of James, throughout his letter, he has been confronting us in a number of different areas because he loves us. And as we've journeyed through our study in James, he gets in our face and he confronts us on a number of issues related to faith and how we actually walk that out in our lives. I mean, he gets into our business, right? Nobody likes people getting into our business. And he challenges us about how faith actually works out in our lives. And with, if we're honest with ourselves, we are probably more compromised than we realize. You know, we, we live fractured lives, and we have um, just various areas that we um, are, have inconsistencies in our character. And so James wants to restore us, and he wants to bring us back to wholeness so that we might experience the good that God intends for us. In our passage today, James tells believers how to live a life with wisdom from above. Now, wisdom is a theme that he's already introduced us to in chapter 1, right? And he tells the believers there, and he exhorts them, that if any of you lack wisdom, he should ask God 
who gives generously to all, and it will be given to him, but he must ask in faith without doubting. Now that's within the context of trials and tribulations because he wants us to have God's perspective on the trials that we're going through. But in a broader sense, we're to ask for wisdom from God in all situations and in all things, circumstances that we're going through in relationships that we have because he wants us, again, to experience God's goodness in our lives. And he wants us to live and function in the world so that we would walk in a manner that's worthy of him. So by the time we get to 3.13, James returns to the practical outworking of wisdom in an individual's life, how it impacts our relationships with others, and what that actually looks like. He says that our good conduct show our works done in the meekness of wisdom. Our good conduct shows our work done in the meekness of wisdom. Wisdom is rooted in an act of faith or trust that God knows what is best for us and that we actually do what he tells us is good and right. And living with this type of wisdom has been a problem like from the very beginning, right? I mean, when Adam and Eve decided to do what was right in their own eyes and to determine what the good life was for themselves and to achieve that on their own effort. And the state of every person since then has been the same except for one person. We want to determine what the good life looks like. We want to determine what is right in our own eyes and then how to achieve that good life by our own efforts. But, cha- but James wants to challenge our perception of what the good life is like and how we actually achieve that. James warns us of the consequences of living by worldly wisdom versus the wisdom from above. Listen, we often think of a wise person is someone who is intelligent or someone who has expertise in a particular area or, or someone um, who uh, speaks eloquently. But remember, James is talking to a primarily Jewish audience. And in the Hebrew mind, in Hebrew thought, the word that we translate in English as wisdom is not just intellectual knowledge, but it's actually used of someone who was given the ability to do something skillfully and to make something skillfully, like those who made the garments for Aaron or who did the furnishings for the temple. God gave them that knowledge so that they could do something with it. They could actually put it into action. It was an applied knowledge. So at the beginning of our passage, James starts by identifying someone who is wise, not by what they know, but actually by their life and their conduct, by their actions. They act out of a trust in God. And it's by observing a person's life, it's how we know whether or not someone is wise. A person is truly wise if they not only know what is right, but they actually know what to do, and they actually do it. So if I asked you right now to think of somebody who, you know, can give you the right answers, who uh, can tell you the right thing to do in a particular situation, but when it comes time to them actually doing it, they don't, 
Maybe somebody's name comes quickly to mind. Now, guys, I don't want you looking at your spouses right now, okay, turning to look at your spouses, but probably some names come to mind. James calls that type of wisdom folly. And we see in the Proverbs this comparison of wisdom who is personified as a lady that calls out to a young man to seek wisdom that he might find life. And then Madame Folly, who enticingly calls out to the young man to lure him to, to follow her and to follow her ways, which leads to death. James calls this type of wisdom that Madame Folly dispenses earthly, unspiritual, and even demonic. This type of wisdom is what governs the world, people's attitudes and values, and is motivated by bitter jealousy and selfish ambition. As you well know, there are times when we, as followers of Christ, can actually act out of that type of wisdom, a worldly wisdom. So even before Shelley and I um, went into, uh, well, before we got married, we thought about going into the ministry, and we always had a heart and a love for missions. And uh, when I was working as an engineer, we supported missionaries, we supported various uh, ministries. And I thought, if we ever went into the mission field, um, I didn't want to raise support. I wanted to fund the ministry myself, to be self-supporting. And so about this time, I started investing in stocks and, and actually had some success doing that. And I thought this might be a vehicle that I could utilize to help you know, save, to support my family, so that when I resigned from my job, I could actually go into the mission field and have some savings to support us. And this was around the time that e-commerce was starting to take off, technology was starting to take off. It was around the time of, of the dot-com uh, explosion. So I had invested in one company that was developing software for healthcare, and they were uh, doing patient records, helping hospitals keep track of patient records, and also to meet HIPAA guidelines. So initially, I had invested uh, some money in the stock, and it had doubled in just like a few weeks. And so I thought, okay, this may be a way that I could put some money away to save for my family. And so I invested more. And the, companies kept, the company kept announcing contracts, and the stock price kept going up. And within a few months, I had over a quarter of a million dollars invested. Well, it had grown to over a quarter of a million dollars. And this is where I became double-minded, as James says, because my initial motive to provide for my family and to go into ministry got diverted, and I began to follow the desires of my heart and to pursue wealth and what it could provide. James said earlier in his letter that each person is tempted when he is lured and enticed by his own desire. Then desire, when it has conceived, gives birth to sin. Church, hear what I'm about to say. It is so easy to start out with good motives, but then 
our desires and selfish ambitions in our hearts can begin to take over, and it can result in sinful attitudes and actions. What I knew to be true in my heart, which was that God would provide for our family and provide for ministry, turned into trusting myself and what I could do to provide for my family. That's the deceitfulness of sin, right? Because we think we're intelligent enough that we have the wherewithal to manipulate and to control things so that it turns out the way that we want. And all that does is it makes us prideful. Proverbs 16.2 says, All a person's ways seems right to him, but the Lord weighs motives. Wow. The Lord weighs motives. You know, I thought I was being wise to try to save for my family and to support my family, but I actually ended up compromising and doing things I otherwise wouldn't have done. That's not a life of integrity, and it's not a life of wholeness, because I wasn't acting out of the things that I said that I believed. That's actually a disintegrated life. And men, I don't know if maybe you started out working, wanting to provide for your family, but then you end up spending a lot of time at work trying to achieve success, trying to chase the next raise or wealth, instead of loving your wives, spending time loving your wives well, and spending time getting to know your kids. That is not wise. It's foolish. And James says, don't follow your own wisdom or the wisdom of the world. That is the type of wisdom that is earthly, unspiritual, and even demonic. And it doesn't originate from God. The outworking of living according to this type of wisdom is disorder and every vile practice. We begin to love the world and the things in it. We begin to act and make decisions that are not motivated by faith and trust in God, but actually motivated by the lust of the flesh, the lust of the eyes, and the pride of life. And this is not from the Father, but from the world. And then we become more compromised than we actually realize. So I began to make decisions based on the lust of my eyes, because at this time, the stock was about $5. And because of all the contracts they were announcing, there was talk that it would go to $10, $20, $30. And so I thought, man, I'm going to have like a million dollars, right, to support my family. Do you see how deceptive our hearts can be? When we make decisions driven by our desires and selfish ambitions, we can be self-deceived. It becomes all about us and not about the glory of God. And our, our focus is taken off of God. And I can't tell you how many men that I've talked to that have made just really foolish decisions trying to chase wealth and trying to chase money. And as Paul Harvey used to say, and now for the rest of the story. You see, when the, the stock had doubled, I thought, man, this is such a sure thing. There's never a sure thing, right? This was such a sure thing that I borrowed money to buy more shares of the stock. 
Yeah, pretty stupid, right? Pretty foolish. Because my plan was once the stock went up, I would sell a number of shares, pay back the loan, and then just let the rest of it grow. I didn't do that. Pride got in the way, greed got in the way, and I didn't sell any of the stock. We can so easily be deceived. But I am so glad that the Lord loves us. And he says, I'm not letting you get away with that. You're not doing it your way. Sometimes he lets us have our way so that we suffer the consequences of our decision. But in this case, he said, nope, you're not doing it that way. I have something better in mind for you. So you know where this story's headed, right? You can imagine. The contracts that were announced all fell through. The uh, dot-com bubble burst, and the stock that I had, the amount that I had, went to zero. And the Lord said, let me show you how I'm going to do it. He told me, you're not going to do it your way. And it's amazing what he did because he put a team around us to support us faster and, and to supply for all of our needs and our financial needs faster than the stock went up. I mean, isn't God amazing? He, he is so gracious to do something like that. Not only that, but, you know, if he would have allowed my, my plan to succeed, what I had thought up, I would have just been prideful and I would have been self-sufficient. And what kind of missionary would I have been at that time if he would have allowed that? And we also would have missed out on the, the team that he puts, put around us to pray for us and to come alongside us and support us. So you can see we're operating with worldly wisdom, where, where I operated with worldly wisdom, where it brought me. James says, though, that the person who operates with the wisdom from above is pure, then peaceable, gentle, open to reason, full of mercy and good fruits, impartial and, and sincere. A person who is walking in true wisdom not only experiences personal peace, but he or she is also a peacemaker. Proverbs 3, 13 and 17 says, Blessed is the one who finds wisdom and the one who gets understanding. Her ways of pleasantness are ways of pleasantness, and all her paths are peace. So in 4.1, James calls the bitter jealousy and selfish ambition passions or desires, and he says that it causes a war within us that results in inner turmoil and disrupts our personal peace. Remember that he's writing to those in the church, okay? So there's this war that's waging within us uh, between what our flesh desires and what the spirit desires, which is for us to walk in the wisdom that's from above. When we try to live according to the desires of our sinful self and at the same time try to, to live according to the spirit, James calls this being double-minded in 4.8. And this was the war that was raging inside of me at the time as I struggled with what the, the Spirit desired for me, which is to serve and follow Him and to trust Him 
to provide for my family, and then to pursue wealth and comfort and security on my own. This was a divided heart. These passions are motivated by trusting in ourselves and trusting in men and not trusting in God. James says that what causes quarrels and fights among you and the desire to get something you don't have causes you to murder. This coveting sometimes results in murder as we see on the news senseless killings every day. But the Lord ties anger to murder, though. And I don't think we realize how sinful our anger can be and how devastating our anger can be. Remember Jesus' words in his Sermon on the Mount in Matthew 5? You have heard that it was said to those of old, you shall not murder, and whoever murders will be liable to judgment. But I say to you that everyone who is angry with his brother will be liable to judgment. Whoever insults his brother will be liable to the council, and whoever says, you fool, will be liable to the hell of fire. Jesus equates anger with murder. And James starts chapter 3 by saying that the tongue is hard to control. In fact, you can't control it sometimes. And it causes us to stumble. Now in chapter 4, he says that when we function with worldly wisdom, our tongue causes us to quarrel and fight with others. And we see it all around us every day. I mean, have, have you ever witnessed people fighting and quarreling because they couldn't get what they wanted or didn't get what they wanted? You know, a customer fighting with a, a sales clerk because they couldn't get what they wanted or it was out of stock? I mean, we've got Christmas coming up, right? So keep your eyes filled. Siblings fighting over an inheritance because one of them felt jealous because they were slighted or didn't get what they thought they deserved. Family members so enraged by each other that they yell at one another, you're dead to me. I was in Walmart here just a couple weeks ago, and I was down in one of the aisles, and I could hear a couple people arguing. And as I made my way up to the front to check out, I finally saw two ladies. One was in a wheelchair, and they were just like shouting murderous threats at each other. And there were people around them just like in disbelief. I mean, how can you be so angry, you know, and so enraged to just shout and yell in public? But we see that more and more. James says that as God's people, we shouldn't function that way. James calls the believers in Jerusalem out, and he calls us out. You adulterous people, do you not know that friendship with the world is enmity with God? Therefore, whoever wishes to be a friend of the world makes himself an enemy of God. So when we act that way, we become friends with the world because we are functioning in line with the false wisdom that the worldling functions with. And we're actually opposing God and what he desires for us. We're not being faithful to what he has called us to be. And that is to be peaceful and to be peacemakers, especially with our mouths. Jesus had some harsh words to the religious leaders of his day who considered themselves righteous. And in Matthew 12, he says, You brood of vipers, how can you speak good when you are evil? For out of the abundance of the heart, the mouth speaks. The good person out of his good treasure brings forth good, 
and the evil person out of his evil treasure brings forth evil. I tell you, on the day of judgment, people will give an account for every careless word they speak. For by your words you will be justified, and by your words you will be condemned. That, that should frighten us. That should really scare us because it's really about the heart. Are we living out of faith, trusting God to give us wisdom, or are we acting religious and following the wisdom of the world? You know, praise God that there is no condemnation for those of us who are in Christ Jesus, but we are going to give an account for every careless word that we speak. So this week, have, have you spoken any careless words to others? Have you spoken gossip or belittled someone this week? Have you stirred anyone up to anger because of your words this week? We are to function with true wisdom by going into situations that could potentially be volatile and be peacemakers and be a calming presence with our words. Uh, a number of years ago, um, I was, when I was working as an engineer, we had purchased um, several compressors from Italy, and they were about $30 million each. And so we spent about a year preparing the site, getting them ready to be installed, and, and the compressors were shipped, and we had hired one of their startup engineers to come and help us get them installed and get it started up. And, you know, whether this perception is right or wrong, Italians can, you know, be perceived as being emotional and fiery, and this guy absolutely was. I mean, he, he was a hothead. And so he came, he was working with one of my lead technicians, and from the very beginning, they were just, you know, clashing. They were, there was tension, they were bumping heads, and after two weeks, I could tell things were just coming to a head. And so one afternoon, my lead technician called me up on the phone, he said, you've got to get out here. This guy is packing up his bags, and he's headed home. He's headed back to Italy. And remember, we, we were paying him like $300 an hour or something like that, something crazy. And I thought, I cannot let this guy leave because we've got to get these compressors started up. We've got to get this unit started up because we had a deadline to meet, and it was going to cost us like a million dollars a day if we didn't get this unit started up. And so... I prayed. I mean, I, I don't think I've ever prayed that hard. As I was driving out there, I was asking the Lord to, to just give me wisdom, give me the words to talk to both of these guys so that they wouldn't tear each other's heads off and to be a calming presence when I got out there. And so by the time I got to the construction site, I talked to each of them individually, and then I was able to reconcile them with God's strength, with his wisdom, and we actually got the, the project finished on time. But walking in godly wisdom helps us to be peacemakers, to step into those situations and be peacemakers. Okay, so how do we get godly wisdom? We're told earlier in James to ask, but what are the keys to asking so that we have the right motives, so that we might walk in true wisdom? James tells us two things in this passage. The first one is humility. James says when we pursue humility, God gives us grace, but when we stand in our own pride, he opposes us. 
Have you ever been around someone who's prideful? Have you ever been around someone that's so full of themselves? I mean, they're, they're not fun to be around, right? Uh, my wife and I, we, we like to watch um, Survivor. And, you know, I, we like to watch kind of the dynamics of the relationships that are going on. And at the beginning of this season, in the very first episode, there was a gal by the name of Emily. And she just came across as being aggressive, being prideful, telling, like, all her teammates what to do. And you thought for sure that at the first tribal council, which her tribe went to, she was going to get voted off. But then there was a plot twist, and one of the other tribe members said that she wanted to get voted off. And so next week, Emily, I think because she had heard all the things that were being said about her, she came in with such humility. And you actually began rooting for her, and, and, um, you know, you actually began to like her. But pride can be such an issue in our lives and in the others' lives. But what is true humility? How do we even define it? Is it thinking less of yourself? Is it having a low opinion of yourself? Or is it thinking of yourself less? Not being so self-absorbed and thinking of others first. And even when we do define it, how do you actually pursue humility and how do you measure success in humility? Because when you think you've achieved it, you actually have lost it, right? I believe James gives us some guidance towards pursuing humility. He says to submit ourselves to God, resist the devil, and draw near to God. I believe that when we draw near to God, we then have a true evaluation of who we are in light of who he is. We see ourselves rightly in our finiteness, in our sinfulness, and in our limitations. Think about those who, who saw the Lord in all his glory, men like Moses and Isaiah. You know, when they encountered the greatness of the Lord, they were flat on their face, right? Because they, were, they had true humility. They were humble because they were in his presence and in his glory. The scripture describes Moses as very humble, more than any man who was on the face of the earth. And then Isaiah, when he saw the glory of the Lord in the temple, he was undone. He was disintegrated. And he said, I am a man with unclean lips. And we know that Proverbs tells us that the fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom. And we're familiar with Proverbs 3, 5, and 6, and most of us can quote that, right? Um, To trust in the Lord with all your heart and not lean on your own understanding. In all your ways acknowledge him, and he shall make your path straight. But do you know what Proverbs 3, 7 says? Be not wise in your own eyes. Fear the Lord and turn away from evil. You know, James must have had this verse in mind when he wrote to submit ourselves to God, Resist the devil and draw near to God. Be wise not in your own eyes, fear the Lord, and turn away from evil. So what are we given when we submit and humble ourselves before God? We're given grace. He gives us grace. So walking in wisdom and humility is not something we can do on our own, by our own strength. We need God's enabling grace to help us to walk and to live in humbleness and in humility. 
and wisdom. And when we mess up, he gives us more grace. Of course, our ultimate example is Jesus himself, right? Who being in very nature God did not consider equality with God something to be grasped, but he humbled himself, became a servant, and died on the cross. And Paul tells us in Philippians 2 that we are to have that same mindset, to not do anything out of selfish ambition, but in humility count others more significant than ourselves. So walking in godly wisdom is to have the mind of Christ in us and to operate out of that mindset by loving others, especially with our words. The second thing James tells us is that we need to repent and, we, and when we do operate by the wisdom of the world. That's what James means when he tells, us to cleanse, tells them to cleanse their hands, purify their hearts, be wretched and mourn and weep. We saw earlier how serious God takes the sin that is a result of our speech and the words that come out of our mouths. You know, we weep over other sins that are more heinous, but how often do we mourn over the words that come out of our mouth that actually hurt others? Proverbs 18.8 says that the words of gossip are like choice morsels. They go down to the inmost part. And we know the old sayings, right? Sticks and stones may break my bones, but words will never hurt me. No, words do hurt people. That saying is so not true. We can say things that hurt others, that make their, that causes their spirit just shrivel and crush them. The Lord takes it seriously what we say, and so should we. Jesus says in Matthew 15 that it's not what goes into the mouth that defiles a person, but what comes out of the mouth proceeds from the heart, and this defiles a person. For out of the heart comes evil thoughts, murder, adultery, sexual immorality, theft, false witness, and slander. These are what defile a person, but to eat with unwashed hands does not defile anyone. And I love the fact that out of the mouth comes the overflow of our hearts. And so it really doesn't help to just talk better, not to slander, not to gossip, not to lie, not to curse. It doesn't help with the problem that we take it to the mouth level. But we need heart surgery. And it's something that we can't do on our own. It's something that only Jesus can help us with. And our hope is in Jesus. We need to repent, run to him, and ask him to change our hearts, to give us new hearts, and to cleanse our hearts, to fill our hearts with love. When we walk a life shaped by humility and repentance because of what the Lord has done for us, we become more receptive to the wisdom that comes from above and to act upon it. We don't let corrupting talk come out of our mouth, but only what is helpful, that fits the occasion, that it may give grace to those who hear. So how would our marriages, you know, our spouses, our friendships, our co-workers, uh, our neighbors, how would they feel if we spoke words that gave grace to those who hear? If we spoke words that were encouraging, 
and encourage their spirits? How might that open doors for gospel conversations? In God's economy, things are upside down, right? If we stand in our pride, he's going to humble us and he's going to oppose us. But if we humble ourselves, he's going to give us grace and he's going to honor us. And that, my friends, is hopeful. That's the hope that we have in Christ. So James closes by telling us that a person who walks in godly wisdom through pursuing humility and repentance doesn't use his mouth to speak evil against others. He doesn't talk bad about them behind their backs. A person demonstrates he is wise because his good conduct is done in the meekness of wisdom. So church, as as we close today, um, I want to talk to first those of you who have never trusted Christ. What kind of wisdom are you walking in today? Are you walking in the wisdom of the world, in your own wisdom, or are you walking in the wisdom of God? And James says, don't walk in the false wisdom of the world because it is folly and it leads to death. Jesus Christ is the power of God and the wisdom of God for you. Are you tired and weary of of walking in your own wisdom and it just it's not leading you anywhere? It leads to a dead end? Then I would present to you that Christ became for you the wisdom from God. His righteousness and sanctification and redemption for you. He died so that you could walk in true wisdom and is, that is found only in Christ so that you might find life and have peace with him. You do that by humbling yourself, repenting of your sins and your self-sufficiency, and turning to him. If you do that, you will receive his grace and his forgiveness. Brothers and sisters, those who claim to follow Christ, I ask you the same question. Are you walking in the wisdom that's being formed by the culture in you? Or are you walking in the wisdom that comes from above? Christ is also the power of God for you and the wisdom of God for you. Does your faith rest in the wisdom of men or in yourself? Does operating out of that false wisdom cause conflict with your spouse, with those that you work with, with your neighbors, those in your family. The Lord wants you to experience personal peace, but also peace with others. James says to humble yourself, repent of your self-dependence or dependence on others, and to trust Christ who is the power of God and the wisdom of God for you. And if you boast, Don't boast in yourself, but boast in the Lord, the one who is worth boasting in.